Hey, I'm Christina Rea, and welcome to Breaking Out of Breaking In, a practical filmmaking podcast about taking your creative career into your own hands and making great work that gets seen without playing the Hollywood game. Or at least while changing the rules. Hi, I'm Brie Castellini, your other co-host, and today we're breaking down our first projects, and first projects in general. If you'd like to suggest a new topic for the new year, this is our last episode of 2020, uh, send us a compliment, the last compliment of 2020, ask a question, or otherwise get in touch, you can hit us up on Twitter or Instagram at BreakingOutPod, or via email, BreakingOutOfBreakingInPod at gmail.com. So, Christina... What first projects are you bringing to the table today? Well, I thought it would be fun before really diving into like my first real project to mention the fact that I attempted to make three features at different points in my childhood. Wow, like a full length (laughs) feature film. Yeah, well, the first time I in my mind, it was a feature, but it was not really a feature on the page because I was 10 years old. And it was really like, probably 15 pages but in my mind it was just there was going to be more somewhere of course you'll fix it in post exactly exactly it was all (laughs) going to be in post um but I didn't have a camera however I just assumed like if I put it out into the world I would get my hands on a camera somehow really like I remember being 10 years old in my after school program and I would just make my friends rehearse their parts and I wish I had footage of that, but uh, it was basically Scream. It was like a ripoff of Scream. Sure. The boyfriend in my version dies in the first scene, but then ends up being the killer, just like in Scream at the end. Amazing. The next time I was 13 and I had actually written a feature, this was a real full-length feature, and it was another slasher called Cut, and it was like a film set, a bunch of teenagers making a movie, and then people start dying on the set. <laughs> but I never made that because I also was like making my friends act in it. And then when it came time, and at that point, I actually had access to a camera at school, a little camcorder. And by the time I was like, okay, we're gonna do it, they all were just like, okay, we never said yes to this. That's hilarious. Yeah, so it never happened. And then the the last time was uh, my junior year of high school. And this was when I, in the first episode, I talked about raising money to buy a camera. And I had a script that was like a very lifetime movie. It was teenage girl goes back to her old hometown because her best, like her childhood best friend died. And she goes to stay with the friend's mom and then ends up having like a really uncomfortable romance with her best friend's boyfriend who's also grieving. But then there's like a whole twist. It basically turns out to scream again. Did she come back and kill them? (laughs) No, but the boyfriend, it's like the boyfriend did it. But then there's a twist within a twist. And there was like a whole, the whole thing with the mom. Honestly, (laughs) it was ridiculous. But... (laughs) What was what's interesting about this one is that I actually attempted to make it like I shot three scenes of it that was really just me and my camera and like a boom mic on mounted on my camera and I had cast these three seniors at the high school I held auditions and they like showed up and uh, the one that was supposed to be the lead this girl Sarah she was really cool and like her mom agreed to play the friend's mom and it was it was actually maybe going to be a thing, even though it was terrible. And the guy who was the male lead was like kind of an asshole, but he he's a high schooler because... playing a main. Exactly, lead. <laughs> like... exactly. Yeah, it was terrible. But the the best friend character, she was in a bunch of flashback scenes that I had, and uh, 
they were really best friends in real life, the two actors, the actresses, and uh, they had a falling out like after oh, no. we shot the third scene. So then I was like, oh my God, I need to recast her. And then it never really came back around. Oh no. <laughs> but in theory, that's maybe my first film. Is that's the hilarious. one I shot some footage for. <laughs> Do you have that footage? I have, because it was on a mini DV tape and okay. I have one scene because the other two somehow got corrupted. I don't even know how that happened, but I do have the tape. I have a whole bunch of mini DV tapes from that time because I was always shooting really random things. I haven't converted any of them. I have to digitize them. But my actual, actual first film that I really finished was a short my freshman year of college uh, called Do Over and it was a psychological thriller. I technically shot it twice <laughs> because I shot it on my high school camera, which was a Canon GL2. It was an SD mini DV camera. And that summer, or rather that following year, like 20, 2009, uh, HD became the standard. No longer could you really have an SD anything. And I was like, well, I just shot this freaking thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, I asked the actors if they would do it again. And so we just reshot the whole thing on a Canon 70 the following summer. Did you like borrow that from school? It was my DP's camera, which that's a whole story. I mean, we I guess we can talk about it, but it also is maybe a red flag the following <laughs> episode conversation because my DP is someone I met on a dating site. So like that was a mess. <laughs> wow. Was it intentional that you were meeting him on a dating site or did it just sort of happen? So I had signed up for OkCupid because I saw some ads and I was curious. Oh, and also, so I initially signed my mom up for OkCupid back in 2009 and that's how she met her now husband. Oh, wow. But she had been single. Yeah, she had been single my whole life. But anyway, my best friend in childhood, Chris Carroll, he and I decided to just like try it. And we would, he was also dating guys and we would just like compare guys and then set up simultaneous dates and, and then be at like the same cafe or in the same neighborhood. And then after we would just like meet up after and talk about how it went. And it was just a way to like meet people and experience like dating, you know, because I I think that the idea of like just dating casually, I think was dwindling. And also we were only like, 1920 at this point about to turn 20. Yeah. Anyway, that was just like a long-winded way of saying that I was on this platform on OkCupid and I had everything checked. So it was like dating, relationship, friendships, which is just like no one's on a dating site to find friendship. But in my mind, I was just because I was just like trying to meet new people because I just started college and whatever. And this guy reached out to me and was like you're in film like you're into making films or you're studying film i also make films blah 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 and i wasn't interested in him and i probably should never have responded for that reason because like i wasn't interested romantically or sexually but uh i did respond because i was like oh another filmmaker and like he just wants to connect and so then we (laughs) met up and i didn't feel any chemistry and i was really upfront with him and he was like great like let's just be friends which was a lie and then (laughs) (laughs) and then yeah, that's where everything just went wrong. But was he your age or older? He was a, a couple of years older. Okay. 
I mean, if we're going to talk about this, like, I feel like we're bleeding into red flags. But on the one hand, he had like, he made a lot of um, skateboard videos and had a really cool like action footage, I would say. And that was so not anything that I was thinking about yet. I was very much just like writing and words and acting and not thinking about shots yet. That wasn't where my, I hadn't yet learned film, right? Like I wasn't Mm -hmm. even studying it yet. I had just taken one screenwriting class, but I wasn't in any of the production classes yet. And I had I said in the first episode that like part of why I went to film school is because I didn't know what I was doing like I had a camera and I knew how to use it technically but like not how to frame and like how to really be creative so I do think that I don't know at the end of the day I don't regret having him be my DP because he did bring something to it that I didn't have yet and there was like that layer to it but it became really really just filled with drama when he like at some point decided to tell me he was in love with me and I was like I don't feel the same way and then he basically like was holding my footage hostage for a little while until he got over his ego uh yeah so there was a lot there (laughs) did anything happen with that film did it like get in any festivals screen at school anything like that it's grand at school, but it was so the film is about a woman who's working late and she starts getting weird emails that are hard to make out. Like she's working late, working late and then she's on her way home and she keeps getting these emails. And it's also so dated because it was before like the idea that someone would be sending you emails on your phone. So she's got her laptop out through the movie because <laughs> she like she she gets an email before she leaves the office and she's like, that's weird. And then she is in the sort of garage of her office and gets another ping on her phone. So she checks her laptop as opposed to just like opening it on her phone, you know, because it was a totally different time. So she starts getting these images as she makes her way home and they become clearer and clearer that they're from inside her house. (laughs) And she has a daughter that's home with a babysitter. And it's interesting. This is just going to get, I mean, I don't know what we're going to edit out of this, but (laughs) what's interesting about making this film is that I was in production for it when I was um, when I was attacked walking home one night like it was during this summer that I was making this film which ultimately is about a woman who has like a psychological break because her daughter she comes home to find her daughter murdered and she keeps replaying this in her mind mm, so do over is like she's trying to like solve the problem as it exactly. Happened. Yeah. Got it. And so what I thought, it's interesting from like just me reflecting on it is that it's not a very good film. I mean, I think the actor that I cast, like Isa, she was lovely. And I had a lot of like production value in it. And I think Ridgewood, the fire department there, let me just like shoot a scene inside their ambulance. So I have an ambulance in the film. Like there's just a lot of production value. Um, It was a lot of asking of favors. There's just a lot of production value there, except the sound was shit. And I'll, I'll talk about that in a moment but the reason why I brought up the fact that I was attacked is that I think this film was sort of like healing for me in a way because I was similarly then like replaying what happened to me that night and it became this like obsession that I had with like retracing my steps and trying to figure out like why me why like what did I do if I had just done this differently if I had not crossed the street at this point like why did I get off it I had a lot of like that stuff running through my head and I was telling everyone that I was fine like I was telling my mom I was fine I was telling everyone that I was fine didn't matter it didn't affect me like I was making my movie and I really just I have like a love of that film simply because it was like the 
part of how I healed. I also had to go to therapy. I also had to like deal with shit. But in the in that summer in particular, I was able to like channel that energy into completing this film that also was like tackling a somewhat similar theme uh, and like bring that to it. And so it resulted in this 18 minute film that is too long and has so a lot 18 of- minutes is long. <laughs> Yeah, totally. It was too long. It was a lot of ADR because I just like asked a friend who was in one of my intro classes to do sound and he didn't know what he was doing. And so we'd end up doing a lot of ADR. But interestingly, having to go to the radio station to try and figure out how I was going to do ADR on my own is how I met my friend Matt, who is now my editor and like forever AD. So a lot of like the things that went wrong with making this first film led to building what like made me a better filmmaker and building my community and was like allowed me to learn and also there's like this personal stuff that was happening simultaneously too that so it was like at the end of the day I hate this film and I also love this film (laughs) but I don't want anyone to watch it but it is like there for anyone who wants to watch it on my Vimeo channel just because it's like if you want to see how horribly I started um But I also think that there is like something there in it because I do think the actor like she she is great and again you know so nice of her to work with me and I just have a ton of production value. It's kind of crazy because I feel like it has more production value than a lot of my future films simply because I was just like so naive that I would just ask for things. Yeah I feel like that's pretty common is that when you're first starting out you're just like I can do whatever I want like you just like there's no compromise and you don't have the producer brain yet that's like "Mm, this seems complicated we should we should not have an ambulance scene you should just like be on the sidewalk or something you know what I mean (laughs) but like that doesn't happen your first time like my first like real project had an ensemble cast special effects stunts like five to eight minute episodes 10 episodes in total like tons of different locations it's wild that that was a decision that i made that technically worked yeah there's it it's funny how that works i also uh i i relate to the dp thing and i also have a a terrible dp story that we'll talk about next episode in in red flags and conflict management but i do i think i wonder how much especially for women filmmakers who come from like the creative side so like the writing and maybe directing side like that's what we're interested in originally is the story i wonder how much like imposter syndrome sets in allows us to let like shitty dudes with cameras like be on our sets even though they're shitty dudes because they have Mm -hmm. cameras and we like underestimate our own ability to tell a visual story before we have the training because I feel like men don't have that same like blocker they're like oh I'll figure it out you know either they don't care or they assume that they know a ton and they you know buy their fancy toys and like just go for it because like most women that I talk to especially who are like just starting like to direct something once like they get really in their heads about the visual part of it like I certainly did when I first directed I like over prepared like crazy I was so nervous I was like this is I forced my DP to meet with me a bunch of times like does this storyboard make sense and he's like yeah it's fine I was like no Mm -hmm. I don't know what I'm doing there has to be something I've done wrong yeah I will say that I went through quite a few DPs because I made a few few shorts after mostly class projects but a lot of like making my own stuff outside of class while studying um and I t- used a lot of students that I was 
you know, in classes with and the there were a lot of men that just like wouldn't listen to my vision or like what I was mm -hmm. looking for and they would just kind of do what they want to do. And it was a lot of me just like sort of letting that happen and early on because I have I didn't yet have the confidence to be like, no, you're not delivering. Like I know what I want and you are not actually doing that. You're doing what you want. And it wasn't really until after I worked on my first feature, which was when I was a senior in college, I wrote it and then made it after graduating, the winter after graduating, that DP, he was a good guy. I don't, like, he wasn't a bad guy at all. Actually, the fact that he worked on my feature and the conditions that we made that film in, because it was in January in Massachusetts, in the snow, and in, like, negative degree weather some nights, and in we, sh we had 11 production days, 15 days on location and it was very intense um and the fact that he said yes to that because he was also like a good 10 years older than me and almost everyone else on set and that was part of why I hired him was because he had experience um and that he had like worked in conditions like that before but also I don't think we we had chemistry and we weren't good at communicating and he wasn't good at listening uh especially mm. like if I would take a while to really make a decision about something because I was sort of thinking it over or just like weighing my options and I I wasn't yet at the stage where I could make like quick quick decisions you know sure. even though it was a feature to me it was just like really my first film outside of a, a school project so like it, it sure. still was very early for me um and so he was like he would just then kind of make his own decision because I mm -hmm. would take a while or I seemed indecisive or he just like felt differently, you know, and there was one scene that I really wanted to be handheld and he sort of refused to shoot it that way. He he decided that it, he wanted to just be like one big wide shot to get the space. And I think it was that moment where I was like, I need to find a DP who will listen to me, who I can collaborate with, who, mm -hmm. who yes, brings their own creativity to it, but really listens to what I'm looking for as a director mm -hmm. and and compliments that and I did find that after that film mm -hmm. yeah and that's that's an important thing and I think something that you, that has sort of like come up under the surface of a lot of the stories you've told so far Christina is the idea that like your first time even with the best of intentions even with great production value and great buy-in from great people it's probably not even if you've been in film school even like we can add as many evens as you want it's still going to be your mm -hmm. first project like my yeah. my first projects, I'm very, very proud of and I still share around, but they are not the best reflection of my work in any capacity. And that's something that I think a lot of people who both are in film school or who like didn't go the film school route and are doing it on their own. If they take enough like classes, they think, OK, my first project is going to be. <laughs> a masterpiece. I've learned everything I need to know. It's going to be perfect. But I just I don't think that unless in you know you get extremely lucky it is possible to prepare for your first project in a way that will make you not be embarrassed by it and that's not to say that your first project isn't good but you know there's things you just simply can't learn until you're on set until you are running it until you're in charge of the decisions being made and all of that good stuff mm -hmm. yeah until you're like facing making your day with whatever the circumstances mm -hmm. are that happen right like for instance, you know, shooting my feature, Summit, I had not shot 
in winter weather before, which I think was something, a mistake I made. I should have done that before. But also every day on set was a little bit different because we had different level of snow. We had different sunlight, the fucking sun. And like whether it was <laughs> not, it was an overcast day and reflecting on the snow, like all of those things. Yes, I learned a lot, but also every day was a sort of a new day. And so it's not even like doing it once would have been enough to prepare me. I sure. I had to you you just like you learn by doing it and doing it again and doing it again and you start to just sort of it becomes like muscle memory when you're put in enough circumstances that overlap because then you start to see like okay yeah an overcast day means this under these conditions but means this in a different type of condition you know so it's just doing it is really where you learn and so a few things I, I want to say to what you said. One, um, I do, I, we should shout out that this episode was inspired by our friend Shay. Friend of the pod. Yes, friend of the pod for inspiring us to do this episode because they were asking our advice on a bunch of different stuff related to making their first short film. And we were giving a bunch of advice that a lot of it just sort of the conclusion was your first project's going to be crap. And so like, don't. Don't invest too much, <laughs> both like money and too much just sort of emotional weight <laughs> uh, because one day you're going to look back and kind of hate it a little. So mm-hmm. so that so then we just thought it would be good to sort of do an episode about that and, and, and reflect on this. So I just wanted to shout them out. Um, thank you, Shay, for inspiring this. But also something that I think what you were saying before. So I think a lot of people lie about what their first project really is. Um, and I think that's a big factor. Mm-hmm. Like a lot of people who's their first film or their like first thesis film, they're counting it as like not their first, the first thing they ever really made from beginning to end. They're counting it as like the first thing that wasn't a student film sure. or the first thing that they made outside after learning, like post graduating or something like that. And so, yes, there can be people who have really amazing first films, but I but I think that you know it's like how are we defining that is a little bit of a gray area. And also, I just, I do kind of, I agree with you that it's sort of impossible to make something that is what you want it to be your first time out just because you don't know what you're doing. And and it is so much. And you've never worked with these people before because if it's truly your first project, like there's so much about chemistry with cast and crewmates Mm -hmm. that you can't learn until you're doing it. And yeah, you don't know what to look out for for next time. You know, like Mm -hmm. I learned how to find good cast members that I I think are not only good actors, but are good people. I learned that after working with some good actors who were not good people, right? And like then kind of mm-hmm. navigating how I want to do auditions moving forward or how I want to uh, assess whether or not I want to work with someone. And I don't just mean cast, I mean also with crew, right? Like you sort of interview them too and they can seem really great and they've got a great body of work and then there's the chemistry isn't there or maybe there are some egos yeah. or, or they – exaggerated or they took credit for someone else's work which I've definitely experienced mm-hmm. as well or they're just not good on set yeah uh, and you know we're, we're kind of precursoring a lot of probably what we'll talk about next episode yeah. uh, first episode of 2021 but yeah there's there's so much where it's like a person might be great in meetings and shit on set mm-hmm, and that's mm-hmm. something that I've definitely experienced a handful of times and that's that's worth knowing for future times but you know what's funny Christina is that you you've been mentioning like the sort of like dishonesty around what the actual first projects were mm-hmm. and as you've been talking, I realized that 
the episode that I prepped in my notes is not the accurate reflection because I, you know, <laughs> certainly I had like, I had like things that I did as a kid too. We had this thing called Digital Blue. Did we talk about this on the podcast? No. We might have talked about it just separately. So there's this... <laughs> When I when it was the early 2000s, when I was uh, but a babe, um, mm-hmm. there was this little like it connected to your PC, like kids video camera called the Digital Blue. You should Google it, everyone at home. It is a wild looking thing. Um, and it it's basically like a kind of like a gun with no muzzle, basically. Okay. So it was just like one long piece that you held and then there was like a camera device at the top and like you would push with your like trigger finger the like record Mm -hmm, and the stop record mm -hmm. and if it was disconnected from the computer you could record up to like two minutes of footage and then you had to plug it in into like the digital blue software and then you could like edit within that it was like a rudimentary editing um or if it was plugged into the computer i think you could pretty much use it as like a webcam essentially it was just like attached to you know the cord or whatever and so me and my brother went absolutely buck wild with this thing we have so many, most of them are lost to time. Although my brother found a handful of them and made like a compilation of the most insane footage that I had ever put on it. Uh, <laughs> that exists on the internet. Maybe I'll, I'll remember to link it on Twitter or something. Cause my brother still has it on his YouTube channel and you can see like eight year old me just like lip syncing so earnestly. <laughs> <laughs> so god knows what music my brother replaced the music with something else but like so that was something that we learned early on that we used to use and that's what we used to do school projects with this stupid little digital blue camera camera quote unquote <laughs> uh but then like as you were talking i realized probably the truthful answer to what my like actual first film was not counting the time that i absolutely ripped off Lori Hall's anderson's speak in high school uh because <laughs> i don't remember the production of that at all uh is the web series that i made in college called cooking with gandalf because it truly was the a project that i did from start to finish it started as like a one-off video where i filmed my roommates and i cooking dinner and then it became like a fully realized show with an intro and segments and outros and like we had did pre-production for it um kind of by accident and it's a it's a thing that i still share because i find it so funny and it's like i miss that time of my life but it's also a great example of like i was not ready to make a project at all um because it sort of was a thing where we i started doing it because it was fun and then i started taking it really seriously because i was like well it's going on my youtube channel and if we're gonna have a show called cooking with gandalf and it's called this because we at goodwill near our college we found an animatronic gandalf that was like about a foot tall and if you turned him on and walked in front of him he would scream you shall not pass uh, it was like a motion sensor thing mm-hmm. it was truly the greatest find of all time and he was missing an arm we found him at goodwill for nine bucks and we were like this is perfect he's coming home with us and so he was in shot and we would make lord of the rings jokes all the time but the conceit of the show was we would cook dinner and teach you how to cook dinner and also gandalf was there <laughs> that was it <laughs> And it started as a fun thing and they everyone enjoyed it. And, you know, I would edit it because I had a YouTube channel and that was what I ostensibly shot the first one for. Mm-hmm. But then as it went on, I started taking it really seriously. Like I, I made us a, an intro sequence. I, you know, started imposing like, okay, now I need to make sure we have a shot of the ingredients before we mix them. Like I started doing all this stuff. And uh, then I started to get really resentful when my roommates wouldn't like help plan or like when they wouldn't show up for a pre-agreed upon shoot. Because mm-hmm. like for them, it was just a thing we did when we sometimes made dinner and wanted to goof around and dance while we did so. But for me, I was making a show. And I genuinely could not see a foot in front of my own face to realize, like, they had agreed to do the fun parts. But as soon as I started imposing structure, 
they had not agreed to that. And my yeah. resentment of them <laughs> was not fair at all. And that's something that carried through to my actual first project brains, which we've talked about a couple of times. But yeah, I had a real problem in the early part of my adulthood, you know, late adolescence, early adulthood, where I assumed that if somebody agreed to, like, if somebody was doing something with me and then I started taking it really seriously, they should also start taking it really seriously. Mm -hmm. And if they didn't, it was like, because they were wrong and bad and <laughs> I was the correct one because how I was taking it so seriously. Anyone who's serious about something is clearly the correct person in this <laughs> yeah. interaction. Yeah. Right? I relate so. to that for sure. <laughs> but early on, for sure, I relate to that. I also think it's still a little bit of who I am. <laughs> And that I've sort of like surrounded myself a little bit with with people who like that about me, which I don't know. I, I don't know if that's healthy. But I mean, Christina, you and I are the same person and we did right. start this podcast together. Right, exactly. So that, that tracks. <laughs> yeah. I think part of it is just like I'm very much – I have an idea and then I'm I'm like planning it out immediately that's just how I am you know like Kelsey who's who's sort of my main collaborator Kelsey Rauber she likes to joke that when we when she first showed me the script for about a donkey the feature that we made together it was in 2012 and I really loved it and I was like oh you know maybe we can make this together I think actually it was in 2011 but then in 2012 she sent me a revision after I sent her just some notes as like a friend and then she was like, we should make it. And I was like, yeah, maybe we should. But I was already on track to make Summit, my first feature at that point. And we had already just started talking about Kelsey, our web series that we were planning to make after Summit. So I, so I told her like a few days later that I think About a Donkey would make sense in like 2016. <laughs> and, and that's actually when we started working on it for real. But uh that is something I do a lot of where I'm just like, oh, I think that's a great idea so that we can make that work in like two years time. Like I have a full sort of schedule. And I think I do surround myself with people not on, on, on purpose, but people who maybe aren't so much of planners, but ha like want mm -hmm. to be or like want to move forward. And so I'm like the person that makes them <laughs> in a way. Yes, um, same. Yeah. <laughs> Which has caused some problems. Like certainly I've had conversations with people who have worked on a lot of my stuff where they want me to help with their stuff. And I'm like, yes, I'd love to help. Obviously, you've done me a lot of solids and I really like your project. But I've discovered um, in producing other people's work that like I, I can't be me for your project. I can be there for your project. I can help out on it. But like if the person whose project it is, like the showrunner, the director, like the writer, whoever, is, whosoever's like project it is, isn't going to be the one like calling for meetings or like assigning things to people or saying like, this is my timeline or whatever. I, I can only do so much, you know, I've got my own stuff going on. Like the reason I made so much work and some of my collaborators didn't is just because like they would stop asking me about stuff and so I would move on to something mm -hmm. and I'd write a script and I'd be like okay I'm ready to shoot next month <laughs> like who wants to help mm -hmm. and we would get together and we would do it but like you know other people's projects didn't end up getting off the ground as quickly or at all and I we used to feel really bad about that but ultimately like it's not my project and I'm right. never going to be as passionate about someone else's project and that's also something that I think a lot of creative first people end up doing like writer director styles uh, or generally just like writer actors where they like get really excited they work on other people's stuff but then as soon as they are in charge they realize that 
they have to be in charge and that's mm-hmm. really daunting and mm-hmm. a lot of things sort of die in the womb when they're you know mid-progress because that is so much responsibility and you have to be so on top of your shit and you have to be on top of like eight other people's shit and that can be too much and yeah. it's been too much for me before it's, but you know I I have the personality of Christina in that, like, I am the person who takes everything way too seriously and, you know, prepped an entire episode that I, I just partially scrapped in context of this conversation because I'm like, shit, I didn't prepare the right thing. But like, that's that's that I thrive under those sorts of circumstances and not everyone does. And I think it can be dangerous when you put like all of your hopes and dreams into something, mm-hmm. but then don't have that final like spark to move it forward, mm-hmm. you know, or that final like organizational piece where you either assign someone else to set the meetings or you are the one that's like, every month we are going to check in on this and work on it. Mm-hmm. Because without that, it just falls apart. Yeah. I think it makes sense that you did you did that in terms of uh, prepping the wrong project because I think it is hard to really say like what your first f- film is. If you are mm-hmm. the kind of person who's wanted to make movies since or, you know, has like written stuff since you were a kid, because even like my examples at the beginning, one could argue that my very first film was was that one I shot three scenes from in high school and then never did anything else sure. with, you know, at what point is it like at what point is it my first film? Really? It's like the one that I right. put out there where I felt like I somewhat knew what I was doing because I had learned a little bit uh you know do over i the script the second time around it was after i had gone through my freshman year so i had gotten feedback from my screenwriting professor on it so i made adjustments to it um and so like there was it was a better better than the first time around though not still not necessarily good but i made like little things when i was a kid one of my favorite things when i was a kid when i had a little hand like handy cam was to recreate those Geico commercials where it was like mm-hmm. where people I don't know if you're old enough to really remember these I mean I'm only like three years older than you but uh the Geico commercials where they would say something and then the other person would be like really and then they'd say no but I did just save a whole bunch of money on my car insurance by switching to Geico oh I do remember those yeah 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 and so I would make really weird ones there was one I re- remember specifically where it was again a freaking slasher because I was obsessed with slasher movies. And it was basically like this masked killer is stalking someone and she's like running and she's going through this whole apartment building. And then at the end, her roommate is killed or something. And then the killer goes to the to the main character and is like, I didn't kill your friend. <laughs> and she's like, really? And then the killer's like, no, I did. But I just saved a whole bunch of money on my <laughs> Oh my god, you have this whole other career in absurdist dark comedy advertising that I never even knew of. That's incredible. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, I was a full-blown YouTuber for a while. Like, I made skits where I played all the parts and, like, had different angles and stuff. Like, you know, I have, I'm just looking at my YouTube channel right now. I have this video from 2009 that I made about um, how my arms are too short. And if I'm driving and, like, something in the car gets too far away from me, I have to resort to exceedingly extreme measures in order to, like, acquire the thing. So, like, if I'm at a drive-thru and, you know, my wallet has, like, flown across the car because I turned too dramatically or 
something, like all of the different methods that I use to try and like access it. And then I'm also playing like the person behind the drive through <laughs> wearing like a headset looking bored. Like it's this whole thing. So like that was also technically per- first film things. They're terrible. But and I filmed them with my laptop uh, because like I just use the, the webcam feature because I didn't have a camera for a while. And then when I did get a camera, <laughs> oh, God, it got so much worse. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I think that that's all stuff that goes into, like, finding your voice, finding your pacing. I think that that is all just, like, learning stuff, and that's why it's hard to say. Because, again, like, yeah, you know, what I brought to do over, even though I didn't know what I was doing, I definitely brought stuff that I learned even making those little things, and so did you with brains. It's, to me, this is maybe a really weird, like, comparison, but it's sort of like the idea that sort of, who cares like what your first time having sex was <laughs> like do you know what I mean where like <laughs> yeah, people yeah. put so much emphasis on like first like your first has to be perfect your first has to be you know like special and amazing and sometimes it's like n- almost non-existent you know like f- mm-hmm. it happened but did it happen or like it half sure. happened or you know, like, what defines that? What defines Virginia? Like, who the fuck knows and who the fuck cares? But I kind of feel like it's the same thing with film where people put so much emphasis on firsts, especially features, where it's like, oh, first feature. And then after your first, they, like, don't care about you anymore. They, like, won't write about yeah. you unless you're, like, amazing first time out. You were just perfect. Otherwise, you don't matter. Yeah. Um, and none of that is real. It's just not – because, again, like, I know when I first – started when I was in school, I would watch people's first films, like, you know, especially famous directors that their first film would be online somewhere. And they would be like, sometimes really great, sometimes not really great. But I knew those weren't their first films. It was just like the first one that anyone had heard about or the first one that anyone had seen or that they had talked about. And it bothered me that I couldn't find anyone's real like progression, anyone's Mm -hmm. real sort of I want to see someone who I think is amazing and I want to see where they actually started because I shouldn't be, I shouldn't have to compare myself to that right now. Like I'm not there yet. And what you're showing me as their first is really like their seventh, you know, um, because they made a whole bunch of shit in film school or as a kid like me or whatever. Um, Mm -hmm. And so that's why it's the same pressure no, they, they put on. We put on first drafts. Is all I was going to say is that right? You know, like the first draft has to be perfect, otherwise you're worthless. And it's like no one's first draft is perfect, or it's so rare that it's perfect. And I think that it's dangerous when people are like, "Oh yeah, I just like that's all that I did." Like you know, the and even if it is like your first draft is perfect, it probably took you a million shitty projects to get to that perfect first draft. Right. And it also totally depends on the type of project that you're making and who you're working with and all of that kind of stuff. And I I think that part of it comes from like it's hard to see the forest for the trees when you're in the thick of it when you're like making something but I Mm -hmm. also think that like the external pressure comes from people outside of the industry who don't know how much work it is don't know that you know to make your how long was summit Summit, minutes uh under about 80 minutes yeah. Great. So like for 80 minutes of content, you were somewhere else for like, what, 15 days? You shot yeah. for 11 days. Like mm-hmm. those days were, you know, God knows how long. Yeah. They were and, like, like 16 hour days. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. But like that is so much. And that's after you did how many months of pre-production, how many months of script writing and rewriting. And so the all of the I think when people expect like the first project to be good, they don't realize that even with all of that work, it's still the first time you're doing something. And the first time you're doing anything, you're not going to be as good as the second, third, fourth, and fifth. 
but because people don't see all of that work that goes into it and they don't realize that like that's how it works if you're not a creative person like that that doesn't exist for you like the first time you make an omelet might not be like the best time you make an omelet but an omelet's not very hard Mm -hmm. it doesn't require that much preparation and so I don't I think that then viewers get frustrated like oh well if your first film is this bad then like I'm not going to pay attention to your career or at least we expect that to be how people react so I think it's it's a lot of like imposter syndrome fear of the first thing not being good enough to justify the rest of your career mm-hmm. and the actual populace of people not knowing how movies get made and expecting like perfection despite the fact that there are so many factors that could make something imperfect that you have no control over. Yeah. Agree also uh, what I was going to say before is what I what what I appreciate in you too and what I tried to do is make everything available so that people can see that progression. Totally. And what I think is it obviously helps other people to see that, you know, I've made just like a big, a large body of work to get to where I am at any point, right? Um, But also it helps me as a filmmaker because it gives me perspective, right? Like I don't ever start to, like I don't have, I think it's, a problem when you compare yourself to other filmmakers especially uh because you don't know like what they had that you didn't have and of course money yeah. is always a factor there you know in terms of production value especially but also like time is money so like you couldn't get as much coverage or whatever but for me like I try to only compare myself to myself so it's like this film is not perfect the one that I just made and yeah it has these flaws and for these reasons but look how much better I've gotten at directing actors look at how much better I've Mm -hmm. gotten at making my day and like getting more coverage in that amount of time look at how much better I've gotten at you know lighting or making these decisions or whatever so yeah I think that it's like not only beneficial to other filmmakers to have it available but also for myself it's a really a learning tool ultimately your first project needs to be just like embraced as as how you get to the filmmaker you're supposed to be on the other side like that's that's how I view my first feature especially let's 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 briefly talk about summit a little bit more sure um like do you have other uh, learnings things you want to share from that that first feature experience the winter shoot the 11 day winter (laughs) shoot yeah I think you know so my advice generally is you want to have someone who is above the line that has experienced what you're doing before yes but I think most of the people that are on the set should be at your level so that there isn't pressure on you to deliver something they're expecting that you just cannot at the stage that you're at so I think it's like for me it was on summit having a dp who had more experience because I was producing it by myself um I wish I had a producer but I was making like a $15,000 feature um you know so there's like honestly summit is like a whole bunch of it could be a whole series of episodes but (laughs) trying to be concise with it I think that so my advice would be like experience the kind of conditions that you're going to be shooting in and that doesn't mean you have to make a film in those conditions but you could go volunteer on a set that's going to be in those conditions and and I think a big part of directing or producing is like anticipating and so the best thing that you can do I think to anticipate the needs of the people you'll be responsible for is to put yourself in that position as much as possible and that's why I really do think that volunteering on other people's sets is a big part of it 
you know, before I made my first short, I worked as a script supervisor for a bunch of student films and experienced like getting fed nothing or poorly. I experienced, you know, what it was like to like not have anyone be communicating with me about what we were doing or what was happening next. I experienced a whole bunch of stuff that I learned to incorporate into how I run a set, you know, to do better with. Um, and so I think that's like my best advice is to just work on other sets and put yourself in the position of of who you're who you'll be responsible for. Because when you're at the top, it's like trying to be like a CEO of a company and you've never worked for that company. You don't even really know the needs of the employees. Like so Yeah, or even if it's been a while, because usually when you start a company and then it's been a, around for a couple of years, like it fundamentally is a new company by then, you know, you've, right. you've moved on. And so I think, yeah, it's a good gut check. I like that advice. I think definitely the advice is you shouldn't make your first film if it's your first film, period. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like certainly yeah. not if it's like a thing you're really proud of. If this is your first thing that like you are, you know, it's a passion project, however you want to call it, it should not be the first set you've ever been on. Yeah. And I think this was the advice we gave Shay because they – are trying to make a short that they crowdfunded and there are a lot of stakes attached to it. it. It has like a really ambitious location and and there's a lot of money on the line and they're working with an actor that's really up and coming. And our advice ultimately was like, make something much smaller first where you have mm-hmm. a contained environment, do it in your apartment just so that you can learn and make mistakes and the stakes are really low. Mm-hmm. And I, and they did that. They ended up doing that. Yeah. Really, we've already seen pictures from that. And that l- also looks very cool. Yeah. Um, and I think, I mean, I, they showed me a, a rough cut um, because after I quit my job, I was begging for things to be busy with. And <laughs> they sent me a rough cut and I sent some notes and it's, and it's great. And I think it like, there are definitely some things where they, they learn stuff for next time, but it's, it's going to be a film that I think they'll be proud of. And they learned a lot through. Mm-hmm. And then of course, uh, don't be afraid to ask people for advice. And I think I have a lot of people who ask to pick my brain. That's a common thing that I get asked a lot these days. And um, it can get annoying, but because I'm like, what do you really want though? Like, are you just trying, like, what are you, because it could turn into a three hours of my time. Like, I don't know what you actually want. But if someone came to me and was like, hey, can you give me some advice specific to something I've done before? I will happily hop on the call with, uh, call with you or like send you a long email or whatever um, to answer that question and give you advice. So I think like don't be afraid to ask someone who's done it before. If just be really specific, and we're gonna do an episode on asks and like how to sort of yeah, I think so. Email. Like how to write an email not like a ding dong. Yes, <laughs> um, but that's like you know trying to learn from other people's mistakes as much as possible. That's sort of like how I learned how to crowdfund too. I taught myself how to crowdfund when it was brand new because I looked at the mistakes other people were making. I, I think that you can maybe try and do that with with film too. It's hard to research, but if you actually put yourself on sets, you will start to learn. Uh, well, do you have I also any- think you'll learn a lot from people's successes. Like oh, my, yeah. the director on Brains, who had also directed some other stuff that I'd seen him do before, was a huge influence on my first time directing. And like, you know, there were things about his producing that I learned to not to do, but there were a lot of things about his directing that I learned to do. Like he's a director who loves actors. He comes from mm-hmm. like a predominantly theater background, although he had done a lot of film stuff before, but like theater is his love and theater is very much an actor's medium. Um, and he 
taught me like a lot about how to speak to performers and how to like make them the stars instead of making them your puppets. And I, I can't thank him enough for that and getting to watch him do it to me and do it to the other actors on set. And like, really value their input and never make it feel like he was trying to impose something that was unfair. Anytime we got in a fight on brains, which we got in a fight on every single day on brains, he and I just tore the brain set up fighting. But the thing that I never like second guessed for a second was that he really, really cared about the story and the characters and the performers behind them. Mm-hmm. And that was something. And like, you know, the specific, you know, tricks that he did, I learned from, and I still use to this day, even after, you know, a handful of projects under my belt. So that's, that's also something like, don't go on sets, like necessarily expecting to like use them in your brain to fix in the future. But like, there's also a lot that you can learn from those. So I just wanted to, mm-hmm. to shout out the positive working on other people's (laughs) sets as well. Something that I've had to get better at, speaking of Summit and like learning, that was my first time directing. I had So that movie is five characters almost the entire time. Like almost every scene is all five characters. So it was a huge learning experience in paying attention to all five performances Mm -hmm. and then like knowing how to give direction to each one in the way that they want to receive direction. And one of the things, there was one scene, it's the climax of Summit, which was like a giant shit show because the whole day we um, we were supposed to have an overcast day and we had the brightest, most beautiful sunny day ever. And so <laughs> sunlight was reflecting all over the place. Oh, and no. it was all like a daylight day in winter. So we were going to lose, we only had like, eight hours of light max and we had you know four characters that needed coverage and there was two gunshot like effects that we needed to pull off and my visual effects person or my like a special effects person had completely bailed like mid-shoot so then my art director who's my friend Chris he watched a whole bunch of YouTube tutorials and just like was pulling shit out of his ass and like he and I whatever it's fine it's really bad but also it works I guess I mean Summit had like a pretty robust festival run which is just like what but um but anyway uh This is a really emotional scene because it's at the end of the movie and everyone is just like cracking emotionally and one of the characters is dead and Mm -hmm. one of the characters is accusing the actress Emma, her character, of being being like the murderer in this film. And she has to just have like a full emotional breakdown and just like cry every time. And she was really great, but I had sort of taken for granted how much I could rely on her because I wasn't quite getting the performances I needed from the guys and she was like delivering every time. So I was giving them a lot of attention because I kept trying to get adjustments and I also was trying to protect, especially the one actor who had to be doing the accusing so he was really driving the scene. I was trying to like protect his ego because he was like being really weirdly method, not to not to like insult him because he was he was a good guy, but like he prior to this moment he was in the basement and, it, and like my ad told me that he was like smacking his head against the wall to like get into character, <laughs> so it was like he was very intense and I and I. I would go over to him and try and like give him a little direction and he was just like, yeah, got it. Okay, yeah, 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 got it, got it, got it. But he wasn't like listening to what I was saying and I could tell because he was trying to like stay in his zone. And so I had just given him a lot of attention and then 
And Emma was just like delivering every time. And even when the camera wasn't on her, she was crying and like amazing, brilliant. And then at the end of the day, we, it was like a fucking shit show of a day. We, we made the day, but it was like, if you watch that end scene, it's like, my God. But because of the lighting and because of just like how rushed everything was, we didn't get the coverage we wanted, but it came together. So again, it's like, I'm proud that we did it and that everyone managed to do it because we shot this, like it was eight pages that we shot in this really short ass day, again, with like gunshots and whatnot. But anyway, um, the next day we had a day off and Emma asked to speak to me in the bathroom and she just like started, she like broke down and was just like, you didn't give me any reassurance that I was like giving you what you wanted or that you, that I was doing a good job. And she's like, and I was really giving it to you. And I like, every time the camera wasn't on me, I was making sure that the actors had what they needed to react off of me. And you were just like, not giving me the validation I needed. And it was also like coming off of just a long, grueling shoot of like shooting in these conditions, mm. whatever. And that was just like, oh shit, like you're totally right. Um, and I, all I could really do was apologize for that and just like try and do better next time. And and that is, it's taken, and I love doing ensemble pieces, but it has definitely taken doing quite a few to really like find the balance of like giving each actor what they need, making sure that I'm not like favoring anyone, even if they do need the extra attention that I'm still like giving the, what the others need. And, and that I'm like making, I'm making compromises that I know I can live with like in post, you know, mm -hmm. and that's all come, that's just come from doing. And, and so, yeah, it's like, I've learned so much with every project. And I think that that's, that should be the case. And that is often the case. And so your first project should sort of be a shit show so that you can come out the other side, having learned mm -hmm. a lot. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like truly the, vibe on set between season one brains and season two brains was so fundamentally different and like we hadn't even fully got our shit together like we had pro like brain season two was also not a cakewalk but like the just there was such a marked difference because we had probably about six or seven months in between when we wrapped season one and like started in earnest shooting season two but in that time we had replaced uh, one actor who was kind of a problem. He was a nice guy, but he was somebody who uh, on season one, um, he was great for the part. He was perfect for the part, exactly what I was looking for, but didn't take it seriously. He was one of those people who like tends to make fun of people for trying too hard. And because like we were like living and breathing brains, he was like, you guys are cringe. And so he would like be unprepared or he would improv and he was okay at improv, but like in a way that would throw off the cadence of the scene. Like I'm fine with a little riffing at the end of a sequence mm -hmm. but my scripts are written very specifically. And so mm -hmm. like when I'm directing my scripts, I, I get very like specific about how I want the cadence to, to map out. But like, so he would do all, he would kind of go off on his own. He was a terrible scene partner because he gave you nothing. Mm -hmm. He would give you absolutely nothing to play off of. And he was also just like kind of a slacker on set and like wouldn't be prepared or like wouldn't, you know, care, would make fun of the director. So like him and the director had a lot of problems. I don't think he had any problems, but the director was certainly like felt very victimized by his treatment. And then um he decided not to come back for season two and it was kind of a blessing in disguise because like even though he was he's a fine person and he later apologized because he had his own shoot that he did after shooting braid season one and he sent me a facebook message and was like so uh i just had like an hour-long fight with an actor of mine and i just realized 
that I probably was not very fun to work with on brains. And I'm really sorry. <laughs> it was like, you weren't. Thank you for apologizing. But then, you know, having to replace him, I met my one of my favorite actors of all time who I've worked with on literally every project since. So, you know, Blessings in Disguise, similar to the original pilot for brains, which has like 80 red flags that we'll talk about next episode. But the original pilot uh, for Brains had uh, featured a totally different actor in the main love interest character. And he was uh, the original actor was my roommate. He was my classmate. Um, and he, for many reasons that don't need to be on the internet, uh, fully flamed out. And I w- almost quit brains before even shooting a second episode like we'd shot the pilot for class and we're planning to like clean it up for the rest of the season once we got into it the the next summer but when that actor left he had been such an integral part of the show like he had read one of the first drafts of it and had been a big influence in like changing some of the sequences and stuff and he and I had such a massive falling out that like I was despondent I was like I had been working so hard all of us were burnt out we'd been on other sets and we were all just so exhausted and I was like what's even the point and I ended up pacing around our neighborhood in Crown Heights at the time with my two other roommates who are still working with me to this day for god knows what reason but like we were pacing around the uh the neighborhood and I was just sort of like ranting about how upset I was that this guy had just like left us in the lurch because we had a shoot plan for the next day that he flaked on so we had to cancel with all the other actors and so it was just an absolute mess and he had been such a dick the whole time and I remember at one point uh in a moment of catharsis like a woman was walking her dog nearby us uh, as I was having this rant and she gave me this weird look and it just like triggered something in me and I just shouted life is pointless at her and like stormed off down the street (laughs) and like truly I had lost it but then by the end of that conversation my two roommates my other roommates had like convinced me like do you really want him to win do you want this one asshole guy to be the reason that you didn't make this thing that you spent so much time working on and I was like but it seems so impossible to start over we're gonna have to reshoot that we're gonna have to like totally restructure like the plan for the summer and they were like you know what we'll figure it out we will figure it out we just need to replace one guy reshoot two scenes uh not even two scenes I think we only needed to reshoot one scene and just like apologize to everyone reschedule and we'll we'll, I mean if you're in we'll figure this out but you have to be in and thankfully I had them there because otherwise I would have just been like I would have rage quit I would have because I had no idea what to do I was so overwhelmed and like everything I planned for fell apart and since then a number of things that I had planned for fell apart but I got a lot better at managing them because it took like talking it through and having people who supported me and believed in me to like make me sit with myself for more than two seconds instead of reacting in the moment emotionally thinking okay something went wrong do I still want to do the project yes okay then we're gonna figure it out and Mm -hmm. like learning that muscle was so important yeah yeah so not life is pointless (laughs) so is there anything else we want to cover Because a lot of, I guess, the brain stuff that I had prepped, I can talk about in certainly the Red Flags episode or the funding episode, things like that. Yeah, what I will say in summation for Brains, which is the first major thing that I ever did, it has two seasons um, with 30 episodes total. It also has two spinoff projects uh, where I wrote or co-wrote a script set within the universe and then sent it to other people. So my brother directed a short film based in L.A. for uh, a 
spinoff. And then I had a friend in Wales who shot a three episode miniseries set in the Brains universe. Um, that And that those were both very fun. And like Brains is not a perfect thing. And there are certain people that I would be embarrassed to show it to. But it's also the single project that has gotten me every job and networking opportunity since I made it. Like, I have gotten a number of jobs from people who I literally worked with on Brains. I have had several, like, really fruitful collaborations with people I worked with on Brains. I also got my job at MTV because I was a producer and I would not shut up about being on Brains all the time. And they were like, wow, you know how to make content for the internet and you seem to have like an understanding of all the different pieces that put together. And so I got a job right out of grad school at MTV and like it certainly wasn't what I expected it to be, but it was still a job. And then as a result of networking on behalf of Brains, because I really wanted people to watch it, I met uh, the guy that ran Sterable and then I got hired at Sterable when my MTV gig uh, fell through. And then from there through Sterable and continuing to make web series i met christina because i was going i was wanted to learn how to uh crowdfund for my web series not disastrously and through christina i started working at seed and spark and i i through making brains i now teach i teach the web series class that i originally developed brains in at my old grad school which then got me an additional teaching job at a different grad school so like literally everything that i've ever made money from in my industry and every like cool person that I've met as a result of being in this industry, it comes back to brains, this silly little project that like is never going to go anywhere. I'm never going to be able to make more, even though I wrote six seasons of it. I know what the finale of brains is. I know where the characters are all going to end up. We're never going to do anything with that. Mm -hmm. But because I worked my ass off with a handful of people who believed in me and believed in the script I have gotten every single opportunity since then. So that I just I wanted to say that because it's not a perfect thing. There are so many things I would do differently on every level, but I am so grateful that I did it. And I'm so grateful that I fucked up in all of the ways that I <laughs> fucked up. And I'm so grateful for all the people that I met, all the people that I don't speak to anymore, all the people that like I only speak to be because of that project. Like I wouldn't I truly wouldn't do it any other way. And I'm I'm glad that I I I took the plunge. Yeah, I feel the same um, about both of my first, all of my firsts, I suppose. <laughs> um, and yeah, there's like totally other things that could be said about Summit, but I think they're specific to features, and maybe we'll do an episode on features because I think like I will say your first project should not be a feature. <laughs> That's maybe the piece <laughs> of advice. Uh, but the short stuff, I feel like, is a lot of what we already covered. Uh, yeah. 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 Make work. Don't, don't, I, I, I've met people who like don't want to pull the trigger on like asking for favors to make their first project if it's not perfect. And mm -hmm. I, I understand that, but I also think that that just comes from a place of you don't think that people will help you twice. But as mm -hmm. long as you make a good impression the first time and like you're polite, like the, the diner that you're shooting at doesn't give a shit if your movie is bad. You yeah, know? yeah. As long as you are respectful and you buy their food or, you know, whatever their rules are and like you have a good experience there, people will absolutely come back. And usually you can't tell something's bad until like the very end. That's right. <laughs> and even something that's kind of bad at the very end, you can spin and there's parts of it that are good. And that, you know, if you really earnestly go for it, people will appreciate that and they'll want to keep working with you. It's so much more about the way you make people feel and the relationship that you develop than it is like the quality of the first project. So don't like withhold starting something because you're worried it's not going to be perfect because it won't be perfect, but you have to finish your first thing yeah. or you can start your second thing and have it be better. That's right. Yeah. 
And I think, again, that's why finding people who are at your level who are also just trying to learn is is the best way for you to grow together. And, and then you kind of don't have to feel like it needs to be at the level that they're at. You can all kind of be at the level you're all at together. Absolutely. So that's the end of our episode. This is the end of 2020 as well. Um, From now on, unless we say otherwise, you should expect an episode from us every other Thursday. Um, So that's the programming note. But yeah, thank you so much for sticking with us. I know we had a kind of unexpected rollout schedule um mm-hmm. but people seem to like the podcast and like i know we say it at the top of every episode but please do feel free to like reach out to us and let us know what's working for you what isn't what information you want more about like what topics we should cover in the future like this is only useful if you get something from it christina and i will just talk if like nobody <laughs> cares about the podcast christina That's and i true. are going to stop having these exact conversations but we figure you know while we're while we're out there hustling maybe you could get something from them so please feel free to reach out and thank you so much to everyone who has who has listened and who has reached out already and who's written very kind itunes reviews those really do help us it's not just a validation thing although the validation is so sweet but uh (laughs) reviewing our podcast on, on itunes and not just putting five stars but like writing something really does help like other people discover the show so if you want us to keep making it and you think that other people would love it we would love it if you would review us and share us with your friends I also just want to add that we kind of started out with topics that we felt like would be a good ramp up to to some of the practical things we really want to get into. (laughs) And so Mm -hmm. I know like the first few episodes were a little bit more exploratory and some of the episodes that we have planned for early 2021 are going to be really specific topics like how to's on certain things like funding and marketing festivals we mentioned that marketing yeah social media probably yeah i think some of our listeners are maybe people who know us from the education side of seed and spark previously Mm -hmm. and so they we didn't want to just like rehash a lot of the stuff we talk we talk or at least i talked about and you still talk Mm -hmm. about in those workshops but like kind of give a little bit more of our stories and who we are as filmmakers and and more of the things you don't necessarily hear about very often before we dive into like the things we're actually experts in and can give you really (laughs) tangible advice on. I mean, I'm an expert at having a massive mental breakdown while making my first web series. So (laughs) I don't know. I feel pretty good about the expertise that I have shared so far. true true but yeah no 100 percent. yeah we're 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 gonna get really concrete in 2021 but we're also definitely gonna have more of these exploratory episodes so let us know what you're like what you're what what you like what you're interested in and stay tuned and we will see you uh later so i guess we should probably do an outro now yes do an outro (laughs) thanks so much to kelsey rauber for our theme music and kaylee brown for our podcast art and to all of you for listening links to learn more about them as always are in our episode description Remember to subscribe so you get notified of all our new episodes dropping every other Thursday and to rate us five stars if you haven't already. Next episode, which you probably know because we've mentioned it several times at this point, we'll be covering the concept of red flags and how to avoid them as well as managing and mitigating conflict on and off set. So be sure to tune in, have a safe and healthy New Year's, and we will see you guys in 2021.